Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at our supporting sponsor, ETSU's Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy. It is the first day of September 2022. Tonight, a big football game here, college football, Purdue, Penn State, looking forward to that. Uh, it's college football season here in uh, in America, so that's that's a great time, and it's a good time to look back. So we're gonna do a landmark, uh, not a landmark, yeah, a landmark of Onco Farm um, uh, episode here, and look back at uh, a disease state that we have not covered much on this podcast, uh, and that's uh, primary brain tumor. So we're gonna go back to to 2005 when I was a uh, a P2 or P3 in pharmacy school. Uh, and look at uh, temozolomide plus uh, radiotherapy. So this is by Stupp, with two P's, S-T-U-P-P, and colleagues in the New England Journal of Medicine, 2005. Radiotherapy plus concomitant and adjuvant temozolomide for glioblastoma. So this is a a 17-year-old publication. Standard systemic treatment um, really has not changed for GBM since then. There there is an electronic field uh, device that has some benefit, but for the most part, the, you know, first-line treatment is still pretty much the same here based on, on this study. Um, right away, what stands out to, uh, to this study is that this is, um, uh, was, uh, the study was done by the uh, EORTIC, the European Organization for Research and Treatment of Cancer and Brain Tumor, and uh, NCI Canada. So this is a cooperative group study. So at the time of this publication, the current standard of care is uh, surgical resection of the, the brain tumor and radiotherapy. And we're talking about glioblastoma multiforme, which is a WHO grade four glioma. So if you're unfamiliar with primary brain tumors, you might hear grade four and think it means the same thing as stage four, and it doesn't. When we talk about staging like with solid tumors, stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. What we're really talking about is how advanced the disease is, how far it has spread locally, regionally, to regional lymph nodes, or distantly in terms of metastatic disease, which is usually a stage four diagnosis. In brain tumors, primary brain tumors, we talk about grading, and grading, similar to like a grade one, two, or three breast cancer histology, has to do with the aggressiveness of the treatment. So these are grade four brain tumors, the most aggressive brain tumors. Now, one way I explain this is, is I I use maybe a clunky military analogy, is you can have a very, very large army, a very expansive army, a stage four army, but the individual soldiers in that army can be, eh, maybe not so aggressive, right? But you could also have a small elite force that is very aggressive, and that's what you can see in primary brain tumors, a a grade four, very aggressive, and it can be a, a small grade four lesion, or it can be a large grade four lesion. Okay, and obviously, uh, the the more disease, the the worse prognosis. Now, prior to this study, um, chemotherapy had been studied with radiation, um, to no overwhelming uh, success uh, in any individual study. Whether it was carbamazepine, plus or minus procarbazine, uh, maybe with high dose methylprednisolone. Um, uh, procarbazine, lomustine, and vincristine, decarbazine, uh, semustine, which is methyl lomustine or methyl CCNU. All these have been studied, ne- never showing a benefit. There is a meta-analysis that suggests a modest benefit that maybe two-year overall survival goes from 15 to 20%, which is maybe a good number to keep in mind. Most of these folks are dead within a year. 
uh, and more than three quarters are dead within two years. It's a very bad disease uh, and a dismal prognosis. They do mention in the introduction here that lower levels of uh, DNA methyltransferase, uh, or sorry, O6-methylguanine DNA methyltransferase, or MGMT, is associated with better response uh, to temozolomide. And part of how temozolomide works, we'll do kind of a little bit of a foundation of Oncopharm here as well. Temozolomide is an alkylating agent. It is um, an oral prodrug of MTIC. MTIC is the active um, prodrug of decarbazine. Now, decarbazine is an IV drug, uh, requires uh, hepatic SIP enzyme bioactivation to MTIC. Temozolomide has a non-enzymatic conversion to MTIC happens in all tissues, and then MTIC is further uh, broken down in tissues into a reactive intermediate called methyl diazonium ion, which then undergoes nucleophilic attack on like the O6 guanine of DNA or the N7 portion of, of, of base pairs, along with um, this um, uh, purine intermediate that's called AIC, which is in all of our urine apparently, uh, that I, I, I just learned. So temozolomide, it's an oral drug, very... Uh, you know, lipophilic, 100% uh, bioavailability in the gut, crosses the blood-brain barrier to the point of about, you know, 35 to 40% um, uh, of the concentration of the blood you'll see in the CSF. So it gets in the CNS very easily, which is why you're able to use it uh, for brain tumors. Um, there was a pilot study, a uh, phase two study before the phase three study that suggested the two-year overall survival benefit was 30%. Uh, so this is then the confirmatory phase three study. Um, patients, uh, I'll go over some of what the patients are like, but from an inclusion criteria, they had to be on a stable or decreasing dose of corticosteroids for at least two weeks beforehand. Corticosteroids commonly used, you know, like dexamethasone every six, every six hours, four times a day, initially to control symptoms with the, uh, the edema around the tumor, and then that dose is titrated down um, as people tolerate uh, the symptoms. Sometimes as you titrate down their, their symptoms that they presented with, whether it's nausea, vomiting, incontinence, will recur and you have to increase the dose. You commonly will see thrush as well as uh, weakness. Patients will have trouble like holding their arms up straight or going from sitting to standing because of the long-term catabolic breakdown of protein from long-term steroids. Uh, so they got uh, their surgery. Now that surgery could either be a fairly minimal surgery, basically a, a glorified biopsy or a, a larger surgery. And then within, um, within I think it was five weeks, they had to start treatment. Uh, and it was either standard radiation, two gray a day during the week, not the weekend, for six weeks, plus temozolomide. Now temozolomide, there is the kind of an induction phase and an adjuvant phase or the induction phase you might call concomitant because you're giving temozolomide every day of the week, Saturday, Sunday included, uh, along with radiation on Monday through Friday. And that temozolomide dose is 75 milligrams per meter squared, and it is given every day from the start of radiation to the end of radiation, but no more than 49 days or seven weeks. Usually the prescription will be for a 42-day supply to coincide with radiation. Uh, then after that concomitant phase, which lasts six weeks, you take a month off, and then you do the adjuvant phase where you start at 150 milligrams per meter squared by mouth daily for five days of a 28-day cycle. If they go through that first cycle just fine, the dose should be increased to 200 milligrams per meter squared thereafter. Um, this, in, in community practice, that may not happen as much as it should, which is escalating the dose from 150 to 200, which is how the study was done and how the results that we see are likely to be reproduced in the community. 
Now, temozolomide is moderately to highly emetogenic. Uh, the lower dose during the uh, concomitant phase is going to be less emetogenic than the larger dose uh, for five days because you have a larger peak, uh, larger uh, vomiting risk. So in the study, uh, basically Zofran or Ondansetron was suggested for the concomitant phase but required for the uh, for the adjuvant phase with the higher dose. But yes, yeah, certainly give these folks a 5-HG3 plus or minus something else perhaps if they have risk factors. Very importantly from a patient risk factor is although this is an alkylating agent, um, you know, and not a purine analog, which we know cause profound lymphopenia, this six-week, everyday, kind of lowish dose of temozolomide will cause profound lymphopenia. These patients will have a relatively normal white blood cell count, maybe a little bit low, maybe three, but it's not going to, they're not usually going to be leukopenic. They will be lymphopenic after about a month of this, and that lymphopenia can last for a for a decent period of time for up to a couple months afterwards. In this study, everyone had to be on PJP prophylaxis with either uh, trim sulfa, Bactrim, Septra, or inhaled potamidine if they had, say, a sulfa allergy. And that was continued for that whole six week of concomitant therapy. My personal practice, uh, and what I often do in patients, and what I often recommend, is to continue that, uh, that PJP prophylaxis until the lymphocyte count uh, comes back to, to normal. And then you can stop it even when you're in the adjuvant phase for temozolomide. Um, and we'll, we'll see what the, uh, the toxicity rates are here. Mostly it's hematologic, uh, and, and fatigue is actually the most common uh, with temozolomide. Now, because you're using an oral dosage form, I think it's important to talk about how the drug comes. It comes as a 5, a 20, a 100, a 140, a 180, and a 250 milligram capsule. So, you know, if you have somebody... Like in America, most of our patients have a body surface area of two. So if you're trying to give 75 milligrams per square, that's a 150 milligram dose. You're looking at a 140 milligram capsule and two five milligram capsules. So so three pills or three capsules for a dose, uh, say every day for, for six weeks. So there is a, quite a significant pill burden. You may also have patients because GBM can be pretty devastating symptomatically that may have uh, an inability to swallow solid dosage forms. Well, they might need to have a, a solution and there are extemporaneously um, compounded preparations of temozolomide to make a liquid that, are, that you can readily find uh, in many drug information uh, resources uh, here, there, and everywhere. Okay, so let's get onto this, uh, onto this study. And uh, the patients in this study, the, the median age was 56, 57. The range here was 19 all the way up to 70. And it's important to note because older patients have a, uh, have a poorer prognosis than younger patients. Um, you know, 70% were over the age of 50. Uh, it's about two-thirds male, one-third female. 13% um, of patients had a uh, performance, a WHO performance status of 2. Um, you had to have a performance test of 0, 2, or 1 to be included. 13 is kind of high for a, a randomized controlled phase 3 study. Usually the, the, the number of folks that are uh, performance test of 2 is, is limited. 16-17% uh, of folks just had a biopsy as part of their, their surgery. Um, the rest had debulking, which about 40% having a complete resection of their tumor and 44 or 45% have a partial resection. And those are well, there's a well balance between, um, between, both, uh, between both arms. That's important because the more of the surgical resection that is done, 
the better these patients will do. And you might be asking, well, why not do a complete resection? Well, it's in the brain, okay? And you just can't cut out the whole brain. And it's up to the neurosurgeon's uh, expertise and skill. As it has been described to me, these tumors are like spider webs. They're not golf balls. They're not just like, you, you can't just scoop them out with a melon baller. Uh, you know, they will get into the nooks and crannies and the gyruses and the sulci and stuff like that in the brain. So it is, it, it can be uh, pretty uh, problematic here. Okay, so most of these folks, they started within, uh, sorry, the median time from diagnosis to start a treatment was five weeks, so they typically started pretty quickly. Uh, about 78, 80% actually started temozolomide in the adjuvant setting. Um, they received a median of three cycles, um, so they didn't receive all of them. 47% did not um, complete all six cycles of adjuvant temozolomide. And you might be thinking, is it toxic? It wasn't really toxicity, it was disease progression that led in most cases to stopping temozolomide. Um, only 8% discontinued because of toxic effects. Um, and those toxic effects, as I mentioned, fatigue was the most common toxic effect, but as far as hematologic effects, what you would expect from temozolomide, you know, not much in the concomitant phase, only 2% um, grade three or four leukopenia, 4% grade three or four neutropenia, 3% serious thrombocytopenia, in the higher dose adjuvant setting, 4% grade three or four neutropenia, which would be an ANC of less than 1,000 or 500 respectively. Uh, thrombocytopenia was more common, which would be uh, grade three thrombo uh, thrombocytopenia is platelets less than 50, grade four less than 25. So, so those serious effects would be the things that would prevent you from escalating from 150 to 200 uh, per meter squared in the, the adjuvant setting. Now, this was, as you would guess if you haven't read the study, a positive study. That's why it is the current standard of care. Um, if you look at a hazard ratio, the hazard ratio is 0.63. Seems reasonably impressive. Confidence interval uh, 0.52 to 0.75. Relatively tight, even for a, a smallish study of fewer than 600 patients. This is a good example of where looking at the median overall survival can be a little misleading. So the median OS is 12.1 versus 14.6 months. And, you know, almost a two and a half improvement in overall survival is how many people would interpret that, and that is a small to moderate. You know, if you read a lot of GBM studies from back in the day, you'd say this is quite impressive. There were at least three or four studies that weren't able to show it a statistically significant improvement in overall survival. This did. So even a, a small improvement would be notable. What, what is more notable is a, a, the two-year landmark analysis. So if you look at the overall survival at two years, it's 10.4%, let's just call it 10, compared to 26.5, right? So 10.4 to 26.5, so 10 to 25%, an absolute improvement of 15% in two-year overall survival. And if you look at the Kappa-Meyer curves, you can almost look at these as two slides. One slide is very steep and goes straight to the bottom, uh, and that's the radiation loan therapy. And another slide starts at the same kind of slope, but then levels off and is a much gentler ride uh, down and, and you really see the benefit at the tail end of the curve here and you know at, at the time of this you know after I think is it 28 months only 16% of people on the study were alive so it's not like there are a lot of folks out there and there's you know you, you can't trust the tail end of the curve like you can in many Kaplan-Meier curves um, I should mention the telltale sign that this is a cooperative group study is that the primary endpoint is overall survival. They're asking the question we really care about, which is are people living longer? Uh, and they are. 
they are. They also report subsequent therapy. And in the radiation alone arm, 60% of those patients who just got radiation and didn't get temozolomide received received a salvaged temozolomide. So it's not just a case where, um, you know, where uh, they're not having access to temozolomide because this is an international study of, of 15 countries. Most of them did. More than half did. Uh, it really does matter that this is given uh, up front. So this is, uh, you know, a, you know, it's a landmark study. It's the standard of care as we know it now, and now you know why. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can follow me um, uh, on Twitter at FarmDDib. You can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OnkuFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.